to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's daily NYFF 61 edition, director Jonathan Glazer, stars Christian Fradel and Sandra Huller, producer James Wilson, and sound designer Johnny Byrne discuss The Zone of Interest, a main slate selection in this year's festival with FLC Senior Director of Programming, Florence Amalzini. In his chilling, oblique study of evil, British director Jonathan Glazer situates the viewer at the center of frighteningly familiar banality. It's summer in the mid-1940s, and a German family merrily idles by a river. Father Rudolf Haas, played by Christian Fredel, and Mother Hedwig, played by Sandra Huller, tuck their kids in bed at night. They entertain family and guests in their vast backyard garden on the weekends. In the morning, she oversees chores with a cadre of housekeepers and cooks. He goes to work as head commandant of Auschwitz concentration camp. Their domestic life is paradisiacal, yet over the wall abutting their home we can see smokestacks, and at night we hear screams and occasional gunshots. Loosely inspired by the 2014 novel of the same name by Martin Ami, Glazer has created a singular, unsettlingly timeless representation of inhumanity and our capacity for indifference in the face of atrocity. Filmed and edited with aptly cold precision and punctuated with an ominous score by Michael Levi winner of the Grand Prix at the 2023 Cannes Film Festival. To learn more and get tickets for this year's New York Film Festival, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Glazer and the team behind The Zone of Interest. The Zone of Interest opens in theaters on December 8th, courtesy of A24. Thank you so much for being here. Um, there's a lot to, to talk uh, about, but I will be brief and ask you the first question, which is the inspiration for the film. I mentioned, I didn't mean to make light of it, but you're not a slow filmmaker. You work on a deliberate pacing. But so it, you were, you came in touch with the book by Martin Amis, and then you worked with your producer and starting with, so can you talk about the origin of wanting to make this film? Yes, I, I can. And, um, Thank you, uh, Florence. Um, I'm going to do my best this evening. It's quite, I think the events of the last couple of days have been quite difficult for everybody. So um, it's, a, it's a subject that I've been think, drawn to and thinking about for many years, actually, before I read the book by Martin Amis. Um, <clears throat> but the Martin Amis book uh, kind of uh, crystallized the point of view, um, the perpetrator point of view. Um, and that was something which uh, was, I thought was very, uh, for obvious reasons, very difficult and challenging, um, but also something which I felt like I was going to, uh, I felt like it was important to, um, uh, you know, uh, somehow uh, dive into. I mean, it's a film that reflects of the past, obviously, but it's very also, as you started mentioning, it's a film about the present. It's a film about how we feel. It's a film about how we think, how we act, and that we don't act. So while you watch the film, and you're obviously in a very heavy period of time in history, that's not that far away. You realize that maybe not that much has changed, and we're in different perspectives. But as a viewer, you, you're thinking about today when you watch the film as well. Um, yes, the every every um, effort. I mean, uh, it was always my intention to make a film uh, that wasn't uh, um, it's set safely in the past, actually. In other words, something which had happened 80 years ago and which we could somehow feel a safe distance from. Um, but actually that it was something which, a film that should leave us feeling unsafe. Um, and to see 
our similarities with the perpetrators uh, rather than our similarities with the victims. And and I think the um, difficulties were to serve that idea, which was to make everything as sort of modern as possible in the choice in every choice in the way that we approached um, the photography, obviously, um, the production design, in other words. Um, you know, the house and, and garden and the camp itself obviously were not 80 years old at the time. Um, so it was really about trying to create something which um, felt very much like it wasn't uh, in aspect. It was actually live and we were dropping into uh, something which was ongoing. Um, you started talking about cin cinematography uh, and then uh, we'll have... We'll bring you in the conversation, of course. But the cinematography, obviously, is a crucial part of the film because you work with a really excellent DP, uh, Lucas Tan. Mm -hmm. And so you have all the exterior shots uh, that are like beautifully like shot and framed. And then all the interior looks like a surveillance camera. And it brings a very strange feeling in the way the house is set. So I wanted to talk a little bit how you, you worked with, with Lucas on uh, creating this this way you work with all these cameras and it's the feeling it brings to us as a, as a viewer and obviously uh, you thought about it from the artistic point of view yeah certainly not um it's very i mean film by its nature obviously is, is very glamorizing and um i didn't feel it was right um well beyond that it was it felt completely wrong to me to to sort of look at these people and somehow empower them with the kind of or fetishize is, is is often done um but actually to stand away from them and watch their actions and and watch them um somehow un, in an unauthored way mm -hmm. um without the kind of authorship of of cinema and its its conventional techniques um but rather we used to <clears throat> talk about which sounds reductive, but you'll, I think you'll understand what I mean. We used to talk about it like Big Brother in the Nazi house. It was like sort of, you know, <laughs> trying to, uh, we were, it was all, all about dropping in and, um, during this week on what was happening in that house in this week and avoiding drama, actually, which again is kind of counterintuitive in many ways, uh, certainly with most films, but this one, um, it, was, it was watching from a, an almost a sort of anthropological uh, perspective. Uh, I would love to talk about the sound design, uh, which is also part of like the score, the music, and how it all works together. So the, the score is by Mika Levy, and also but the sound design of the film is, is really extraordinary, and it's the first thing that gets you into the film. Uh, it's how you, it, it brings you and you travel through the film with the sound and the sound design. So can you talk about your collaboration and can you talk about how much freedom Jonathan gave you to create all this, this aspect of the film? Shall I just start, Johnny, just as an yeah, introduction, which is that we, um, Johnny and I have worked together for decades. Pretty much. So, um, so that's not many films, but... <laughs> <laughs> you won't let it go, will you? <laughs> um, uh, but he keeps me very busy. <laughs> they take a while, but the um, but uh, we talked about it right from the beginning. I mean, the idea of obviously not showing, uh, not reenacting mm -hmm. the atrocity or the violence was absolutely, uh, um, uh, you know, that was mandatory um, for me. And obviously, the way and I wrote the film with that in mind, with um, and the sound being interpretive as it is, um, we talked very early on about that there were two films at play: one, the, the one you see, and the one you hear. And Johnny will obviously tell you how we did it. Yeah, there's um, it, 
it, it is a film where there's a stark contrast between what you see and what you hear and obviously the the sound is presenting a lot of the horror and um uh yeah so i first got involved reading the script and, and my work began with research and looking through all the documents i could find of, of witness testimony and, and thinking you know john and i need to understand every single sound that was that would have been heard at that place in time at, and the way that it was heard the physicality of, of sounds within that space and um so yeah we we made an inventory of all the things to do with nature and and the river and the the, the frogs but also the um the machine of the camp and you know the the planes that flew overhead all the automobiles of the time and the guns and such like and and then of course the guards and and then of course the prisoners themselves and how we would hear those and and um we made an enormous document and that was the kind of bible to go out and record a library that um that we made over a period of i mean all through pre-production using the resources of the shoot and um and going through into post-production we set about my team and i recording a, a vast array of sounds so that we would be ready when when it came to putting film two onto film one and you know it's, it's remarkable to have a film where that level of input um from the soundscape didn't actually marry the film until sort of fairly late in post and um, we were actually um we we realized that uh, we had to kind of finish up film one the the everything that you do see before we could get to the point of putting our sound on because really if if they are to be ignoring it then film two should not inform inform film one in any way um so yeah we had an enormous library of sound and john and i spent three or four months uh, having already completed the traditional film that we do see um editing and mixing which is something we do sort of in tandem putting putting the the extra sounds into place and i think originally we started quite timidly and i, I remember a, a screening that we had of just watching back where we were and we invited um production designer chris oddy down and, and a few others and i remember chris pulling me aside after the screening and saying um Hey, Johnny, you made it sound like a country park. And there was an expletive in the middle of that sentence as well, because it, it was, we hadn't, and, and the subsequent screening, we discovered that actually in order to be accurate and um, it needed to be sound a lot busier than it did. And, and we um, then spent a further couple of months um, enhancing everything that we had and we got to the point that we had this strange phenomenon where if we watched the film through from the beginning we realized that um, the film worked incredibly well and if we came in on a morning say and started 30 minutes in everything would sound wrong and to the point that we actually thought there was a technical problem that you know everything has got too loud or everything but of course it wasn't that it was that we ourselves were dialing things out and that was really our bellwether of well we must have done it then because so yeah, that's kind of what happened. Um, I would like to know also how you came to cast Christian and Sandra, um, how you approached them, and how long did they take to accept the offer of working on such a film, which is probably very difficult for German actors, uh, if you think about the topic matter. But also, you know, I assume they were aware of your work, which would make every actor excited to work with you. But at the same time, it's a difficult uh, subject. So maybe we start with you, Christian. 
um, yeah, I had offered to do a selfie uh, to do, describe myself and to uh, talk about why I did become an actor without knowing uh, the script, without knowing the potential role, only knowing this is for a new project of Jonathan Glaser and what you said. Um, let's go to do this. Um, and then I met John and uh, Jim for the first time in a pub in London. And then John shares with me his investigation, shares with me his thoughts, his vision, um, the script, the potential role, uh, shares some rare photo photographs. And I don't know the story that the family lives very close to, to the concentration camp and have a pool and a house and in a garden and yeah from from the beginning i want to be a part of this um of john's vision and then yeah and then i had a traditional casting audition with sandra together to find uh, the energy for the couple and um work with a with a with this phenomenal script and then um john asked me and i said immediately yes so sandra how was your journey? Yeah, he, uh, Christian was a bit quicker than me. Uh, it took me a long time to commit, not because of Jonathan, but because of the topic. And I received two pages from our wonderful casting director, Simone Bear, who was sadly deceased. Um, and she just gave me two pages of two people arguing, like a couple arguing about leaving or staying. So I said, yes, I'm going to go to the casting. and. After that, she gave me the information, what it was about and who it was with. And when I got the information about the topic, I have to say it actually made me feel sick. I had to, it was, to me, it was a shock um, because I never planned to be involved in this sort of narrative or I never felt the urge to portray somebody like Hedwig Hess or somebody similar to her um, for different reasons. Um, so we had a lot of conversations about it, and I can only thank John, and he was so patient with me, and that he had all these conversations with me because we found out we had the same doubts about the portrayal that it should definitely not be a biopic or anything like that. You know, people do strange things. He doesn't, and, um, uh, you know, everything could have happened with this, with this, uh, with this sujet. So... Yeah, and after we had this conversation and then it was postponed because of COVID, so it took, I think, maybe almost a year until we had this final conversation where I said, yes, I, I really want to do this with you and with Christian, obviously, and yeah. I mean, just to uh, uh, say one thing is that, so I'd seen, first, from my point of view, I'd seen Christian in the White Ribbon as the um, school teacher, um, and... Uh, yeah, for sure, and I'd seen Sandra in Tony Erdman, of course, and um, so they were both very much in my mind as they were in Jim's mind, actually. But the reason uh, one of the uh, American psychologists, psychiatrists, I'm not sure, who interviewed Rudolf Hoss in his cell in Krakow, I think, uh, um, while he was waiting trial, described him as very surprisingly, I suppose, for me. Um, he described him, he met him, and he, he psychoanalyzed him as much as best he could. And he described, he, the, the terms he used were that he was like a flower-picking school teacher. Um, he was very undynamic. He was very mild-mannered. And all of these things were obviously mind-blowing and, and fascinating. 
Um, and I think that uh, obviously Christians are very nice human beings. And um, I, I think the combination of what I understood of um, that description and Christian actually um, was, a, was a great fit in, in just on that level. Um, and it wasn't really until Sandra and Christian were in a room together and I saw them both together in Berlin in Simone's uh, room that I remember leaving the room and before Sandra had committed, and I think you, even you, I can't remember where we were in our relationship, but I remember saying to Jim when we left the room, I've got to rewrite the script because it's about them. It's about it's not about him or it's about her, it's about them. It's, a, it's about a marriage to some extent. And so I rewrote and, and yeah, bit by bit, we, 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 we got her. <laughs> it, it's the first time you acted together, correct? No? No. We had a movie together years ago from Jessica Hausner, Amo Fu. Oh, yes, of course. And, uh, yes. Yeah, I played Heinrich von Kleist and Sandra was my cousin and we had some funny scenes together. But when I met Sandra for the first time, I'm, I, I think she's an incredible actress and I was a little bit nervous, but we had from the beginning a connection together. And we had a plane um, some weeks ago and we sat um, not in the same row and um, the flight attendant asked us, do you want to sit next to your wife? And, <laughs> and yeah, this is our connection. <laughs> it's, 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 um, you're a great director of actors. You know, I'm sorry for all the compliments, but you are. And the way we are directed in this film, I, I can tell it was... Um, physicality of the roles and all you I've seen you in other films it's completely transformed um, you act and you move and you walk completely a different way the way Sandra is moving in the film is it she's a different person mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted you to talk a little bit how you put the physicality and the movement in in the direction uh, I didn't put the physicality in, into it at all no I mean um, when Sandra and I first started talking about the role and the, 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 the portrait um, uh, it became physical almost immediately actually I think Sandra sort of expressed our conversation physically um, in terms of how and I recognized it as soon as she did it somehow and uh, so no I think it's just how Sandra works I think it's just a um, it's uh, it is it's physical first, mm -hmm. I would say. No, it's not. But okay. it's <laughs> to me, it was a really strange experience. I have to add because normally I try to think about a character for a while, and the physicality comes much later through the psychology. And this time it was really the opposite thing to me. It was a completely new experience that I've never had before, and it had to do with the conversations that we had with the decision not to give any empathy to this to these people. So what else can you do? You can observe and you can think about people in your past or parts of your family or whatever, like have an example of somebody who would sort of have this this sort of cold or this sort of labor to do every day or this those many children, something like that. Yeah, so it was a... Yeah. I think also you have to, you know, um, reading Hannah Arendt, of course, and she talked about... Um, in order to that they, they were non non thinking was uh, was one of the terms she used, and in order to think one has to stop first to think, and I think and Sandra didn't never stops in in her portrait. It's always 
it's always movement. What's next? What shall I do? What's going on up there? What's going down on here? So I think the occupation of, of her, she, she occupied herself with, with, with activity. Um, there's no reflection. Um, and they're, 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 yeah, that's my, my observation. Uh, uh, can you also talk about your relationship with your producer uh, since you worked together before as well and how you came involved with the project and... Strained. <laughs> <laughs> On which part, yours or his? <laughs> no, I'm joking. We're, we are very close, I think. <laughs> Jim, you should... Uh... That, was a, that was a good start. <laughs> um, you want... Me to talk, that was to you, that question. Yeah, but I've said what I think. It, it was, yeah. So you see? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the question for me? How did you become in, involved in the project? Because you you approached Jonathan? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, John and I have known each other for a while yeah. and uh, produced his last film, Under the Skin, which Johnny worked on too, as you mentioned, and we, we go back a, a long way. Um, so that's too far back. Um, on this film... Uh, no, uh, John sent me a. Um, it was a. Um, it was a preview of the novel, the Martin Amos novel. You know, the sort of. Yeah. It wasn't a review. It was describing it, and so it, not to retell the story, but and it, and it just described. It was like a paragraph describing the um, um, the story, the idea, of the book, and um, and it, it was a, a subject matter that he and I had been talking and thinking about finding a, a film that could be told in the, in that world um what well, world that about about that the subject um the holocaust um uh for a while and looking for different ideas within it very much thinking about the sort of uh weight of representation in film of that and 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 wanting to go be not so much go beyond but sort of what to say about that or what question not what to say actually what what to look for what questions to ask and 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 not quite finding that and then and there was something that struck john about the point of view as he said and and that's how it began so it came from john and i i agreed and and then and then we read martin's book and um and yeah that that was the sort of key to it the, this sort of perspective this perpetrator perspective that's how it began I mean, it's, it's loosely based, but yeah, it was the inspiration was just... Well, what happened after, after that is, um, you know, we met with uh, Martin and he agreed uh, for us to option the book. And then in my memory of it is in thinking about it, of how to do it, that that mm -hmm. the story told in the book is that, you know, quite quickly we and John and I and amazing researcher, we work with Lucy Pardy in London and also... Our Polish friend Bartek Reinski, we we um, we we quickly came to the uh, primary text because the novel is fiction. The novel is about a fictional commandant in a fictional camp, but quite quickly, when you start to research it, you realise it's based on the Hoss family and, and Auschwitz. And in encountering the real, uh, sub, you know, the primary sources, and and the and the house, the proximity of the house to the and the garden to the camp, I think. John just felt like, well, the, the book has taken me here. It's a gateway to it, but that's what I want to do. And then we sort of moved, inspired by sort of jumping off from the novel. Mm -hmm. we, we went into a sort of long period of several years of researching of the of the real Hosses, going to the um, Auschwitz Museum and Memorial in, in Poland and 
working with their archivists and historians and researchers to sort of um, find any, any uh, details of research about, about them. And uh, it was, and that formed the uh, sort of um, like wellspring of ideas that John um, fashioned the script from, including, I suppose, that that uh, the you know that reading about the argument between Hedwig and Rudolf about about the transfer. I think that was kind of the yeah that atom splitter. Yeah, that um, particular argument, which is sort of uh, sort of axis or axiom or something of the film itself or you know there's not it became from um a, a real a, frag, a fragment of testimony from from a gardener called dubiel who worked in in their house or in the garden rather and heard and heard overheard that conversation otherwise he survived the camps um he was a i think dubiel was a political prisoner polish non-jewish and he survived the, the the war and then he gave testimony and in his testimony he referred in this particular fragment to overhearing the exchange where Rudolf Hoss told his wife that they were going to be transferred and she hit the roof. And that felt immediately like, well, that was, that's the, that's when we're going to set it. It was a wonderful discussion. You're coming back tomorrow.